welcome to the Speak by Design podcast, where we study great speakers and great leaders. We study their style, structure, and strategy so you can become a consistently compelling force at work and in life. I'm Stephanie Bickle, your host. Hello, everyone. Last time we talked about contrast and intensity. I hope you've been playing around with those levers in your own style. You can always start small with these changes with your friends and family. And if you feel like it's going to be dramatic change, tell your best friend at work that you're trying some things out in meetings and get their feedback if they even noticed. Sometimes you all think that you're making big changes and when you do them in front of us as coaches, we barely even notice the change. And then when you watch it back, you are amazed at how natural you looked by being louder, by using more gestures, by increasing the intensity of your eye contact. So little things to you might not even be noticed by others. And maybe you do need to dial it up for it to get noticed. And maybe you want it to get noticed. Uh, I like to tell people you want it to get noticed. Don't be afraid of it getting noticed. That's how we know it's working. And that's going to help you prepare for the bigger, bolder life you want. All right. Now this topic today with a skill that we are working on is gravitas. Gravitas, if you look up the definition on Google, it, it will tell you it means weight. So it's the intensity factor that we've been talking about, but I want you to think of it differently this time. Instead of weight with how you speak, we're going into gravitas as better behaviors, and we're going to dissect it as four behaviors. They are number one, confidence and grace under fire. Number two, decisiveness. Number three, emotional intelligence. And number four, speaking truth to power. Now, where did I get these? This is from the Sylvia Ann Hewlett research that she did on executive presence. There is a book on it as well, if you want to dig into it further. These were the top four behaviors that other executives, when interviewed, it was how they defined this mysterious term called gravitas. And the more I have worked on these four behaviors with people, the more I realize how helpful this is. Because it's not just how you show up, it's how you react. How Your reactions and behaviors are often more telling than what gesture you're using and how your face showed up that day, if you were smiling or frowning. So going into confidence and grace under fire first. This is how people know if you are able to handle crises and as a leader, you will have to handle bigger problems. The problems don't get easier. And they are, there's usually it's a day full of handling escalated issues. So being able to control your temper is greatly admired by your colleagues. And that's how you know somebody has great leadership maturity is that they are able to stay confident even when things are failing. Think about that for a moment. Can you stay confident even when everyone around you is screwing up? Yes, you can, because you can keep your belief in the future sky high if you manage it. 
that's going to require a few very tactical things. Controlling your face so that when somebody comes in and tells you something awful, which they will do, as a leader, you hear things like, the systems are down. You hear things like, we just lost our largest customer, or we are being sued, or we just found out that the customer is not happy with the work and they're going to our top competitor, and this will be broadcast in the Wall Street Journal tomorrow. There's a lot that the leader has to put up with that is not good, but if the leader can't control their temper, it has a massive effect on the followers, on the rest of the team. That is controlling the face, but there's also controlling the pace, the speech rate at which you speak. I am sure you work with somebody on your team who is very fast. It could be you, but think of somebody else who is really fast and how hard it is to keep up with them and to digest all their messages. So that's one reason to slow down in itself is that people can actually digest what you're saying. But the second reason is more for the optics. That person who speaks fast, do they sound stressed out, anxious, over eager, panicked, like they're hustling? When someone is rushing and hustling through things, are they really putting all the attention needed on the details, on the data? Probably not. And it's hard to respect the decision maker or the leader in the room when they are coming from that type of energy. So confidence and grace under fire. Remember those four beliefs we talked about in the first skill, loving your audience, believing in your expertise, fighting to solve a serious problem and believing you can solve it today. Bring that mentality back into this and you will have this gravitas behavior of confidence and grace under fire. You have to be able to control yourself. You know, when somebody asks a question in a meeting and another person jumps on that question, they, they almost don't listen to the full question. That is not showing grace under fire. That is somebody who is having a defensive trigger or it isn't managing their emotions well. So I also encourage you to think about how you respond to questions. Let the question come to you and take a moment. Answer the question in your head first and then say it out loud. It will be so much better if you do it this way versus letting the first thing out of that comes to mind come out of your mouth. Now, the second behavior I want to dig into is your decisiveness. Could you increase your pace of decision-making one degree? Why? When you are slow to making decisions, your team suffers. If you tell them you're going to make a decision and then you go quiet, you create distance and they hear nothing, they are pausing. You've slowed down the pace of their workflow. If you keep asking questions, you keep going back and forth, you keep changing your mind on things, that also destroys the trust with the team. So your ability to be decisive is a core element of your leadership gravitas, of your leadership maturity as well. 
I once spoke with someone who said the worst job she ever had was working for a leader who could not make a decision. And what he did is he would bring in the direct reports and let them fight it out, argue it out, and still he would not make a decision. He would ask them, so what are we doing? He wanted his team to be the decisive ones, not him. And the end result was that every single person left him within a matter of two years. I know that I'm simplifying this and saying, make a decision. When the stakes are high, it feels very hard to do this. That's why I ask you, look, look for the opportunity to make one degree improvement in this for now. You may be pretty far along. There's always one degree of improvement possible. And ask your team, would it help you all if I made decisions faster? Is there an area where you feel like I am moving slowly? They will appreciate you even asking that question. How do you get better at decision making? Well, one thing is you have to talk better about it. So the communication aspect is you need to say things like, we've made a decision. Here's what it is. Or you need to say, we're not ready to make a decision. Everybody stay on track with the current process for now. When you talk that way, you make it crystal clear to people what is happening. You do not really have to have the decision made. You have to be able to tell them when it has been made and when it has not been made. When the leader says things like, I don't know what we should do, that does make the the team worry that they are not going to hit their targets and that they don't have the right leader. It is okay to say you don't know when somebody asks you something that you that's very specific that you don't know. Let's say they ask you, do you know what our revenue was in this particular product in 2018? And probably you don't have that number at your fingertips. Then you can say, I don't have that number, but what I can tell you is it was significantly lower than it is today. You want to be careful when you say, I don't know what we should do. Now, a little of that could create some vulnerability. A better way to frame it would be, I need your advice. But the, if you do it all the time, you are undermining your own authority and you are hurting the trust with the team. Imagine if George Washington during the American Revolution had said, I don't know what we should do. Should we cross the Delaware? Should we? I just don't know. And if that was a routine for George Washington, no one would follow him. Ask yourself if you are showing decisiveness right now, and could you show more? The third aspect of gravitas is emotional intelligence. So this is how intelligent you are about your own emotions in managing them, which helps give you grace under fire. But it is also understanding other people's triggers. So we all have defensive triggers and it's nice if you know your own. And it's also, for example, one of mine is if I think somebody is speaking condescendingly to me, it triggers some memories from my past that sometimes even still, I have to counsel myself to say, Stephanie, give them a chance, let them keep going don't react. 
I had another client, one of her favorite things to do when she felt herself getting defensive is she would say to herself, game on. And game on was a command she gave herself to be more controlled in the moment and to make herself more pleasant and open-minded. And that was, it was her own way of coaching herself in those moments. Think of a coworker you work with. And let's say you have a coworker who has a fear of being left out of meetings and her name's Mary. And you know that Mary doesn't like to be excluded and she gets very upset if she hears that a group got together without her. Are you going to keep reminding her of meetings she was excluded from? No, no. If anything, you're going to work harder to include her. But when she's not included, you're not going to throw that in her face. So that's what emotional intelligence is, is understanding what other people care about, what they're worried about, what they dream about, just knowing them on a personal level and adapting yourself to make that person feel cared about. So let's say Jack doesn't like to be told how to do his job. I'm sure you work with a Jack. And but you let's say you are the manager and need to be able to tell Jack how to do his job from time to time. That is going to be the the conversation that you need to have to help him understand why you are giving these instructions and that it is not personal. It is not a personal attack. So this is the reason Mary and Jack behave this way at work is that they're playing out things that happen from their prior jobs or even their childhood and they're bringing it into work. It's very difficult not to bring in the past into your work. This is why I love that question in interviews to ask people about tricky personalities they've dealt with in the past or have who was your least favorite boss? Don't give me names, but describe their behavior. Those are really good questions to help you understand what negative experiences people might be bringing into this next job. Now, your triggers, knowing your triggers is so helpful. This is one of the things we do in our assessment for our private coaching programs. In our assessment, we disagree with people, we scowl at them, we make judgy faces to see how that impacts them. Some people are very distracted by facial expressions. Some people are very upset if they get interrupted or cut off or if somebody disagrees with them strongly or has that condescending tone. It's nice if you can have somebody help you understand when you come across defensive. I know for my sweet husband, if somebody gives him too much advice, he doesn't like it. (laughs) He reacts very strongly. Since I know that about him, I can adapt my behavior to be better. When I notice it happening, I can ask a question. What about instead of telling him, you should do this, you should do this is something he doesn't like. And I imagine many of your coworkers feel the same. They don't like you should, they would prefer how about. Emotional intelligence is also about knowing when to give someone distance. If you keep going over and over the same piece of conflict or controversy with the same person, they are going to get fatigued 
and it's a good time to give them distance so they can recover. Also, after difficult feedback, if you've given difficult, sensitive feedback to someone, give them time and space to process it so that they can prepare themselves for the next time you all talk about this to come in strong and confident again. It's also about how you react when somebody cries. Someone is going to cry to you at some point at work. Don't be afraid of this. It is such a sign of humanity. If somebody felt comfortable enough to cry with you, make them feel comfortable. If they apologize, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to do this. Say, I, it's fine. It's totally fine. And I understand that is the best way to react to someone crying. Emotional intelligence is also you caring about getting to know this person underneath the skin. You want to understand who they are on the inside. Remember how to pronounce their last name, their first name, of course, too. The places that they've lived, the places that they've worked. Know about their family. Know their hobbies. What lights them up? And remember where they have traveled. If they told you they went to Des Moines, Iowa for Christmas, remember Des Moines. Ask about how was it in Des Moines? That deepens the relationship so much and shows that you care about them as a person. The last thing I want to say about emotional intelligence is think about the power dynamic. Do you need to take some power back with this person so that they feel guided more? Or do you need to give up power so they feel more freedom and autonomy? Ask yourself these questions and as you work on emotional intelligence. The last element is being able to speak truth to power. This could be thought of as communication courage, having the courage to tell people you disagree, having the courage to speak your truth, to tell the truth, to power. So it's one thing being able to give feedback to your direct report, but giving feedback to your leader about how they could be better, where they could be more helpful, that feels hard. Or if you're, you've got a very important senior leader who's your client, telling them that they are the bottleneck, that they are the reason the team is failing. It's not the team that's failing, it's you. Can you imagine saying that to someone? It's difficult, perhaps, to think of having that much courage because we worry about the ramifications. Sometimes when people tell the leader that the leader is the problem or that there's something wrong with their team or that the culture is bad, the leader gets so hurt and defensive, there could be retaliation. But that's only going to come from an immature leader. The mature leader will recognize that you had the courage to speak up. So if you know you have a good leader, you can speak truth to that leader if you're not sure your leader is mature enough, you've got to be more careful. The framing of the feedback needs to be thoughtfully prepared. I still think you can tell that leader the truth, but you're going to need to soften it more than you would to a leader who's more mature. 
So this can feel dangerous, but I want to share some language that makes it easier. So one thing is instead of saying you should or we have a problem, you only focus forward and you say to the leader, what if or what would it take to consider an alternative? What would it take? What makes you think this? What makes is less accusatory than why are we doing this? What makes? And you can offer and suggest things. So it sounds like this. Let me offer. So let me offer is an option. Or could I offer something? Um, May I suggest? Let me suggest. All of those are softer openings before whatever courageous comment or bomb you are about to drop (laughs) unfolds. And what would you need to believe that X is possible? What would you need to see to believe? What happens if we if we don't do this? So you can open up things with what questions, what questions are not yes or no, they are open-ended, and push yourself to do what openers versus why, because why is really what you're asking, but sometimes the leader doesn't respond as well to that type of language. We covered the four behaviors, and I want you to ponder, do you need to strengthen all four of these, or is one your greatest area of opportunity right now? Right now, with what you're working on, with the people you're talking to, which behavior needs the most focus, and how quickly could you start using new skills in that area? Remember, you can change in an instant with great self-awareness and the desire to change. Motivation is the desire to change. That is the best definition I've ever seen of the word motivation. Do you have the desire to change in these areas? If you do, you will. You will. And with that, everyone, have a great rest of your day. I look forward to digging into our next topic soon. Take care. If you've ever wanted to become a great speaker, now is the time. Join me at speakbydesign.com forward slash join and join our monthly coaching program where we work on personal style, message structure, and strategies that help you become the obvious choice and help your ideas get heard and create massive action. Hope to see you there.